Good morning friends, it's Grainne Tyndall here. It's Numbers for Success and today's date is Monday, September the 14th, 2020. So I hope you're all doing really well and that you're getting through this month of September, which I believe is a lot of change again, isn't there, with all the children going back to school and things are starting to come back into place in certain parts of the world. I know there's other parts where it's still quite restricted, but within that, let's try and find some peace and unity. So always start with gratitude. That's one of my mantras in life and just wanted to say how grateful I am to each and every one of you who take the time to listen to my podcasts and to share them. And also my Patreons, thank you so much. And if you feel you want to, um, for, for the cost of a cup of coffee a month, if you wish to support my work, please, please do. So bring yourself to www.patreon.com forward slash numbers for success, number four in the middle. So that's all that diddly stuff done. And, you know, today I wanted to speak about some, you know, strong women who have had, you know, influences, I believe, in our culture. Well, certainly one of them has. And I also wanted to just speak about, continue talking about our solutions for life. And, you know, it's, it has had a very good reaction because these are things that if we do on a a daily basis, um, we can really change the structure of our of our being and I suppose the whole point behind these podcasts is to inspire people also to encourage people that you know really the power is within you and that you are the one who can make the choices for your world and your life experience and so therefore by using some of the daily solutions or solutions it can really assist you in that and I got a great response from last month's um, podcast where I spoke about Grandma Moses and I also spoke about the seven habits of highly effective people and I can talk about a lot of things because I have a lot of background training but also have a lot of life experience I've been on the earth a while and I've worked with thousands of people over the years different people of all makes shapes sizes cultures and luckily the world has got so small now I can be anywhere at any time and doing my work so if there is anything in particular that you would like me to discuss please let me know please contact me on numbersforsuccess.com because I really am you know open to suggestions and I can then do the research and speak about it so please feel free to do that. I just felt that was important because I had a few people ask me to talk about more about the seven habits of highly effective people. And if you would like me to do that, I would be delighted to. But for today, we're continuing with the A to Z and A was for acceptance. B was for balance. C was for compassion. D was for determination. E was for equilibrium. F was for forgiveness. G was for gratitude. H was for hope. I was for inspiration and intuition. J was for non-judgment. And K will be for kindfulness. Now, you know, you will have heard, obviously, the word mindfulness. It's a word that really came to the fore in the last 20, 30 years. Now, of course, mindfulness has been spoken about by the great masters, you know, since the beginning of time to be in the moment, to be at one with self, to be able to find compassion and so forth. And it really, for me anyway, it was the work of John Kabat-Zinn about maybe 15, 20 years ago, 
when I was studying, I came across his work. And he was a doctor based in Boston. And he um, was seeing that patients were coming in with mainly stress-related conditions, which he felt, you know, could be alleviated with a holistic point of view. And he started doing the research from the, the, the East and came across, you know, the, the terminology that we use now as mindfulness. And he's done tremendous work in that field, as have many great, like Susan Salinger and so many people. And for me, kindfulness is another massive and hugely important part of the human condition. And, you know, I guess when we look at what we're all going through on a world basis at the moment, um, you know, I believe kindfulness has increased. I believe that people are becoming more aware of the plight of others and it may take I believe it will it's going to take a lot more maybe um, uh, strength and also um, very physical presence to be heard at the moment that's on I believe on a global stage like people going to the streets I believe people really speaking up and speaking the truth and finding their own truth and not just accepting you know what the powers that be say do your own research I can't say that enough but having said that it can be done in a way that brings that sense of kindfulness that sense of um, compassion to our fellow men and women and children and animals and the environment so for me kindfulness is one of the most important aspects of, of being human and you know starting with yourself so filling your day with aspects of being kind to yourself but also to everyone you meet and I feel that therefore increases your sense of having a a healthy four-chambered heart and when your four-chambered heart is full and strong and open and clear it's healthy and that's where kindfulness and gratitude just come naturally so people tend to choose a meaningful life with integrity and purpose Um, and They tend to express their gratitude and also they tend to be very um, compassionate towards other people. However, it's not always easy to be grateful and to be kind to everyone around us, Um, especially when we're stressed, especially when we're going through a sort of a pandemic or, you know, we're we're being fed information which causes fear and therefore what can happen is, you know, the half heartedness can kick in weak heartedness even close heartedness or confused heartedness so i thought we'd have a look at look at those because they're sort of human states so um a, a healthy heart um weans itself from being from these distorted and unhealthy ways and the first step is actually to recognize what state you're in so let's have a look at it so when you're half-hearted we operate from shoulds which is the word i don't try to use i change the word should to could so but when you're half-hearted you operate from shoulds so rather than wants and often half-heartedness signals when we feel duty bound and believe we have little or no choice in what we do and i'm sure you've all been in that position yourselves where you feel you have to adhere to your commitments which of course is acceptable but when we're not consistent or reliable, we, we can be half-hearted. And half-hearted can also indicate that we have outgrown certain people, situations, events. You know, you see people maybe in a job situation 
I mean, they're nearly sick going to work every morning. Um, I've seen adults do that. You know, they, they could be nearly, I just don't want to go to work or young people don't want to go to school or whatever, or college. And that's because you're only half-heartedly in it. So again, that's an indicator that there's something there that you've outgrown. Um, within context, please accept that within context. Then the weak heartedness is present whenever we have, um, maybe we've difficulty facing conflicts um, or we're looking for acceptance or approval of others. Um, we often move into denial when we're weak hearted. So we don't want to see things as they are. And sometimes we may choose to ignore potential signs of maybe um, something isn't, isn't right in our world. And what we do is discovering the truth could lead to conflict. So what we do in a weak hearted state is we just pretend it's not happening. Um, I've, I've seen that many times in family situations, you know, um, where there's it's like the skeleton, it's like the elephant in the corner. So. It doesn't mean you have to always go lamb blast into something. What what it means is once you're aware of the state of your heart and the state of your kindfulness, so to speak, you will then be able to bring back yourself to full heartedness if that's what you wish. So I guess yeah, the weak heartedness is more about, you know, ignoring what you really know is the truth. Any closed heartedness in our nature shows us like we're still holding on to old resentments or grudges or you know letdowns put downs and uh, reveals that we have given forgiveness to work on and we would have spoken about that in in the past few weeks and when our hearts are closed you know we can be blaming critical of ourselves and others we can you know not take personal responsibility for what's actually going on but the question to ask yourself is what do you recognize or observe about your own close-heartedness at this time and what do you need to forgive in order to heal this in yourself and others and that's really the key for me forgiveness and love are two of the greatest attributes as are all of the ones from A to Z but I feel they're the ones that continually continuously sort of seep their way in through the different heartedness and then the final one is confused heartedness and it shows us where we lack clarity and and when we're in this place we we, we profess confusion like we're confused we we don't know how to make decisions um we it, it might actually camouflage as an unwillingness to be clear like so for example you know you might tell the, your partner look i'm not sure where we're going in this relationship rather than state um, what you want and what you don't want, you know, so you're confused. And in this way, we place the responsibility for decisions on the relationship to the other person, which means you're combining kind of confused heartedness with weak heartedness. So doubt and confusion, hesitation, they're usually signs that, um, you know, that there's something there around confusion. Um, So, if any of those states sound familiar to you, they're human. So, you know, look, we have all, sometimes you could have two or three of them at the same time. But when, in kindfulness work and in gratitude work, we notice them when they arise and we make a conscious decision to shift our, our heart's stance to one of fullness, openness, clarity, strength, love. And what I do, I uh, put little notes around my house and I have these little notes that say, how are you feeling right now? So I could be doing something and a little pop and I stop and I ask myself, how am I feeling right now? Because that feeling is creating 
um, the experiences I'm about to have. So I, I'm just aware of that. So maybe that's something you can do. Just write on a piece of paper and just put it somewhere. Uh, how are you feeling right now? And then I thought I'd share a, it's a gratitude building exercise um, from the Dalai Lama. And this is about, it's a practice that cultivates love and happiness and kindness in our nature. And it also supports the expression of love and compassion. And it's also very good for the heart states, for the four chamber heart to remain open, strong, clear in its expression and full of appreciation and, and, and kindness. And the first one is, number one, spend five minutes at the beginning of every day remembering that we all want the same thing. Mm -hmm. Makes no difference where you are in the world and they are to be happy, to be loved and to feel connected. And I believe that. That's the first thing to do. So upon waking every morning, give gratitude for being alive and then just remember that, you know, the things that you wish to have in your life, to be happy, to be loved and to feel connected. Number two, spend five minutes cherishing yourself and others. Let go of judgment and breathing in cherishing yourself and breathe out cherishing others. So doing that for five minutes, breathing in, cherishing yourself, breathing out, cherishing others. And if the faces of people you're having trouble with appear, cherish them as well. Okay, that's really important. Number three, during the day, extend that attitude to everyone you meet. We are all the same with, I cherish myself and you too. And that could be everyone you meet, like the bus driver, the train driver, the the person who collects your bins, the person who serves you your coffee, the person, your co-workers, your lover, your children, your dog. You know, during the day, just, you know, it's like Namaste, you know, I salute the divinity in you. But is this, this what the Dalai Lama says, I cherish myself and you too. There you go. And number four, stay in the practice no matter what happens. (laughs) So that's where the trick is, um, you know, remembering to do that five minutes in the morning and then five and then all through the day, you know, just saluting the divinity and everyone else. And if you can do that, um, it'll change the whole attitude of what is going on currently in your life and in your life experience, because the, the, the kindfulness when you're in the flow of kindness, your life will absolutely 100% change and people will start responding differently to you as you will to yourself and to others. And I just wanted to talk about, if I may, a, a woman I've done some research on who I find completely fascinating. And her name was Josephine Baker and she was uh, born in 1906 June 6th, 1906, in uh, St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri. Um, she was from um, she was a sla- she was from a slave family, who, and uh, they, she was still in slavery. Bless her, when she was born, um, to to parents who were very young at the time, and she they worked in a big, large plantation, and she used to mind the plantation owners children but she was treated extremely badly as you can imagine and that's 1906 so it was unusual because slavery had been abolished but it was still going on in parts of Missouri there was still a massive racial divide so Josephine um, ran away when she was 12 and she boarded a bus which was unusual at the time because there was segregation even on the buses which was outrageous so she was on her bus um, she, and she got to New York now she was always a lovely dancer she loved to dance and perform um, 
that she used to perform for the, the plantation owners, families and friends like she was a, a performing um, monkey. So she used to perform, um, you know, just for their gratitude and then they'd hurt her. So she decided she could dance. That was that she had no writing skills. She could read, but um, everything else she had to learn. So she started working in clubs and, you know, um, she was very poor, but she she got noticed and she started performing kind of in these speakeasies, which were places that alcohol was sold illegally because that was during the prohibition time where there was no uh, alcohol allowed to be served. I know, I think we, we think we're bad, but can you imagine not having any alcohol at all? But of course, the mobsters um, made a fortune on it, which was great. And they brought it in from Canada. So she'd work in the underground speakeasies and the clubs and um, performing. And of course, she was spotted by some big hotshot um, uh, producer. And so began this career that just just soared. And she was treated with good, good enough respect, all right, in America, but... Um, she decided she got an opportunity to perform in Europe. So she went off to Paris and um, she was greeted when she arrived in Paris like she was a queen and she couldn't understand this because there'd been a great promotion about her. And suddenly, before long, she became one of the most sought after entertainments in Paris. At the time, Paris had you know, Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, there was Chanel, there was, oh, it was alive. It was after the First World War. People were wild. It was the golden era. It was the golden 20s. So all through the 20s, she became the most famous musician and performer in in the clubs in um, Paris. She married a very well married. She married four times, very wealthy men, powerful men, and um, people just completely loved her. And there was no segregation in Paris at the time. People of all nations, all nationalities, all backgrounds could mingle with each other sitting in the, the different cafes on, on different boulevards and drinking champagne. Um, and, and it was a very much a life where she felt an equal. So after about 10 years, she decided she wanted to go home to America just to visit. And she was brought back, but she had booked a beautiful hotel um, in on um, in park in the, the main place there in uh, Times Square in New York. But when she went in, they said, oh, you're Josephine Baker. And because she was um, uh, not white. They basically wouldn't allow her to stay in the hotel. I mean, this woman was a genius of her sort. She had made Hollywood movies at this point. She was one of the greatest actresses of her time. So she was deeply wounded. So she went back to Paris and uh, she continued working there. And then the Second World War came along and she decided she was a fluent French speaker, a very intelligent woman. And uh, she decided to start working for the resistance so whilst she was performing at night time, she was also traveling the whole world, the whole length and breadth of the world, um, but particularly around Europe. She was um, providing information for the British um, and she um, you know, was a, very profound in helping um, update the British and the French on the Nazis' movements. So that was kind of fascinating. I didn't know that about her. Um, and so therefore, after the war, she was um, commended and giving the with the top medals for her work in the resistance. And, you know, she was getting older, but she then decided that she want, she really wanted to make a difference in the world. Her whole belief was to, to be of service. And she ended up adopting 12 children um, from all over the world. So it was before Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. She adopted 12 children from 12 different nationalities and she called them the Rainbow Children. 
and they lived together with her and her husband at the time in a chateau uh, in France. And it was quite a bohemian life and the children were from every part of the world and they grew up together. I'm not so sure what happened to all of them, but um, she was a very good mother. And uh, she went back to America then, and um, she was working at the time for civil rights with Martha Luther King, and um, she was one of his right-hand people. And she actually spoke at the famous the, the, the rally he did outside of Washington there. And uh, she was appeared in her full military uniform with her medals of honour from the resistance work. And then, of course, we know the rest. Martin Luther King was gunned down. And then she was asked, would she like to be the leader of that party? But she declined. But she continued to do her work until her mid-60s, early 70s. And she then performed a, a, a huge big show in Monaco. She lost her chateau. She didn't have enough money to pay for that. So Princess Grace and Prince Rainier, who were the prince and princess of uh, Monaco, they gave her a beautiful apartment in Monaco where she could live for the rest of her life. And her last show with all the famous stars at the time, such as Sophia Lorraine and um, um, Frank Sinatra and, um, you know, all the famous people in the mid 60s all came to see her perform and there was standing room only and the next day she was found in her bed in her apartment in Monaco surrounded by the newspapers which were all stating how wonderful she was and she had had a brain hemorrhage and she died very peacefully she went into a coma and she died peacefully in the mid 60s and she was aged about 70 or thereabouts but the reason I wanted to share about her is she was somebody who just had it she just she just believed that, you know, she lived life. She completely uh, embraced her her story, which was tragic in the beginning, but she decided she was going to make a difference. And that's what she did. And it brought her through the Roaring Twenties uh, in Paris. Um, and, you know, she was somebody that just decided that she was going to uh, break all barriers, break all rules, which most certainly did because she was really bohemian. She she really, um, you know, used her fame to get her point across. And she was coming from a place of love and she encountered absolutely every day, certainly in America, she encountered such abuse and such racist, you know, racism. And yet when she went to Paris and Europe, she was treated as an equal, which of course she should have been. And, you know, and but yet it didn't deter her from doing the work she believed was the right of civil rights and of people having a voice so I felt it was very important for me to to do that to talk about her today um, because I feel she was somebody who has influenced my life and helped me to realize ages of no significance it's the power behind it and it's a power behind you know not even the power but it's more the the passion the passions behind it and it was um J.M. Barry who would have written Peter Pan and he says it's a sort of bloom on a woman if you have it you don't need to have anything else and if you don't have it it doesn't much matter what else you have <laughs> so that's you've got it and you got it means you've got the passion you've got the joy you've got the room and there was another lady called Clara Bow she was a famous siren um silence movie siren in the 1920s as well before the talkie movies and she really she was somebody who was called the it girl 
and you know she had the rosebud lips and the dark hair and the hourglass figure and you know the big expressive eyes and she wooed them wherever she went and she said you know she she performed it but when when actually interviewed afterwards she said she was very uh, someone who just pretended it was just a part she played and that she didn't really believe she had it except when she was in that character so remember gentlemen and ladies wherever you are around the world you got it and in the words of um roy orbison anything you want you got it <laughs> i wish i well i can sing but i think it might turn you off this podcast so i won't sing right now but um it's been a pleasure doing this and i have a message for you your um had it here now it's your message for the week and it's the four agreements and the message is don't take anything personally everyone lives in their own dream all people live in their own dream in their own mind they are in a completely different world from the one we live in so again remembering kindfulness but remembering that because you have an opinion or experience of something doesn't mean the other person or persons can see it that way so how people react is their dream so don't take anything personally this week it's been a pleasure doing this and much blessings please please give me some ideas of anything else you'd like me to cover i'd be so grateful to do it so much love and blessings till we speak again it's Grania tindall signing out until next week